Hello, guys. Welcome back to my show, My Steps to Sobriety, on YouTube and podcast. Today, I have got Boye Sevilla with me. Boye is a lady from the United States who is joining me today to discuss a topic that we will more quickly get on to. Uh, but without giving too much away, Boye, first of all, thank you so much for joining me here. It is an honor and a pleasure to talk to you today. Oh, thank you, Stephen. This is an honor for me, definitely an honor for me. So thank you for having me. Thank you. And in the in the pre-interview, we just discussed sort of, you know, my typical starting sentence was, you know, how how were you when you were a little girl, when you were eight? And what were your dreams? What were those things that, that made you giggle and smile? Uh, <laughs> what do you think? What What would you say? Yes. Oh, well, that's an easy question to answer. I was a real girly girl. I still am a girly girl. So I love wearing poofy dresses. I like putting on makeup and I like doing my hair. And my mom, she was a hairdresser. So she would put tons of accessories in my hair, tons, just a ridiculous amount. So I just love, I, I, I loved dancing ballet. I loved singing at the top of my lungs. So I was very bold and open and artistic. And that was how I was when I was little. Oh, beautiful. And where was that? Where did you grow up? Yes, I, I was born in Sacramento, California, born and raised there. Um, my parents are Chinese in origin. And so I'm Chinese American, you can say, um, but I don't speak really an ounce of Chinese at all. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> It's like all, all of us immigrants uh, all around the world. Unfortunately, we lose our roots uh, and yeah. uh, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, beautiful. So you had a, a lovely childhood. You, you enjoyed yourself. And uh, the artistic side uh, obviously stayed with you, but then things changed. Oh, yes, Are definitely. You, you know, I'm, I had a good childhood. My parents were so sweet to me, my mom and my dad. Um, however, they didn't really get along so well. And eventually they did divorce when I was in the fourth grade, so I was about eight or nine, and my mom, she took me and my little brother and moved us about 30 minutes away from Sacramento and split up with my dad. And anyway, she got remarried to my, my stepfather. And at first, everything was wonderful. Everything was just dandy. He was so sweet to my brother and I and my mother. We moved in with him. And we didn't know it at the time, of course, but he actually was a serial pedophile and he had, he had married five other women before he married my mom. So my mom was a sixth wife and it wasn't long until he started to do the whole grooming process and he started to molest me as well. And that did unfortunately include childhood rape and that lasted from ages 10, 11, all the way into, I was already like 18 and I ran away at 19. And my mom, it's a long story, but my mom, she, uh, she, he was very manipulative, a very smart man, and he was able to manipulate the California court system and convince them to kind of kick my mom out of the picture and take, it was, a, it was crazy, but he was able to win adoption of myself and my little brother. Um, and my mom, you know, she, she, she was a refugee who came here, and so she didn't really know the language, she didn't know the laws, and she, it was just a losing battle for her. And he, 
did actually win adoption of my little brother and I. So it was a lot, it made it a lot easier for him to do what he wanted, basically. I'm so sorry to hear your story, Dave. When you said your mom was a refugee, was that after the, the long march, after Mao Zedong uh, in the in the 60s? Or when did you come yeah, over? Yeah, from Vietnam. Actually, my Vietnam. mom and dad, they were born in Vietnam. Right. And when the war broke out there, they were they had to leave Vietnam. All, all the Chinese were kicked out of Vietnam. Um, of course. And they came here. Yes. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, goodness. Uh, and suddenly she finds herself with a different culture. Uh, Goodness, and probably was not treated initially so nicely uh, because she would have been the enemy. The Chinese were certainly helping the the North Koreans uh, at the time, and here she fled as a refugee to uh, to America. This would have been its own its own story with its own brutal reality in day daily life with racism uh, plus 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 for her. Sure. Yes. Yes. And then yep. she then she actually started her life and and continued and made the best out of it and things mm-hmm. did not turn out well. Wow. Right. So this is crazy and it's that the whole story is so real because that's what happens around the world. We are living yes. in very strange times and refugees and, and people being internally displaced or indeed having to leave their countries and starting their life uh, against their will, against the, what they really would like to do, but they have to because otherwise they are dead or they are, they are, they, their children are starving. We see that more and more. Yes. And then, of course, yes. and, and, and of course, in that setting, when you don't have the support system of a traditional family in place, uh, people mm. are getting lost, and then it's so easy yeah. for predators to actually take advantage of that. And exactly. That is, and that's what you have experienced. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I mean, if you think about the figures, we you just before the interview, uh, Boye and I had a bit of a discussion there, and and mm-hmm. it, the figures are clear. They're about one in four, one in five. Uh, teenagers in the United States, or children and teenagers before the age mm-hmm. of 18, are yes. uh, suffering uh, sexual abuse yes, and, yes, and, yes. and rape. And it's it's nuts. Mm-hmm. This is always a figure that blows me away, that simply blows me away. It is, I have, I've had guests on this show who told me that virtually everyone they knew Every woman they knew in the United States, in their closest circle, had been either abused or raped. Mm, and yes, I, yes. I, 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 I'm just gobsmacked because, in certainly in the in 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 those countries and those circles where I lived, I did never appear. Uh, how shall I say that? Um, I'm lacking the words here because it's it's hard for me as a man to to talk about what happens to women. Obviously, there is so much hidden in the background, mm. and therefore, probably I have lived a very blissful life in not knowing what really happens behind closed doors. Mm. I mean, how do you see that? Is is that getting actually more common? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, the one in four number, that's uh, one in four girls and one in six boys. That's a reported number. Mm. So that's, 
you know, and most people don't report. So the numbers are way higher than that, you know, in reality. And I, I, I don't know if the numbers are getting higher per se. I think this is something that's happened from the beginning of time, you know. Mm. <laughs> so I think this is just something that's common that we're just aware of it because it's yeah. out there more now and yeah. people are talking about yeah. it more. I mean, I, I have maybe 50 friends and acquaintances, men mm -hmm. with, with whom I share hobbies, etc. And can, I can hand on my heart say that out of these 50 guys, I would put my hand into the fire for at least 45 of them because I know their children. I know them really, really Aww. well. There is no way that in these families that there was sexual abuse. So therefore, okay. I have got this little sample of 50. Oh, and yes. then you have got the figure of one in two, essentially, if yes, we are yes. really postulating that. Yes. So that is a huge discrepancy, where, where mm. which I have difficulties understand. That's not that I'm saying it. your figure is wrong. It's just right. how the hell am I wrong? Are my friends serial pedophiles? Oh, I don't know your situation. I can't speak for that. <laughs> exactly. you know, and, and also, hard, I don't know. Yeah. I don't also, you know, the thing is, you, you, you might not know if, I'm not talking about the pedophile figures. I'm talking about the women and the men who were molested when they were children. A lot of them don't talk about it. And a lot of them act normal or behave yeah. normally. Yeah. So it just goes under the radar. So a lot of people would not ever suspect. I mean, when I was, in high, middle school and high school, yeah. I, I was experiencing the abuse at home and all of that. I was, I was at the top of my class. I had all straight A's. I did very well academically. Yeah. I was in ballet. I was in piano. So I performed very well. And I was a perfectionist. And so, you know, no one would have, would have suspected that yeah. that had happened to me. And that's a very common story. So Is it's... It not? We got to be very careful to, you know, when we judge a family and we look at them and everything seems picture perfect, it mm. doesn't necessarily mean it, it is, you know, um, that's all. Absolutely. And, no, no. And you're, and that's quite right. And whilst, whilst I was a bit pushy in my question, um, I love the no, way you have answered, I, I love the way you've answered it because the, the, there is, there is such an undercurrent of abuse out there. And I certainly have, met many patients in mm. my work when you when you talk to them about their the reasons for their let's say chronic pain etc you you suddenly mm. come up with uh, quite horrendous childhood sexual abuse mm. and it's intriguing because I, I the patients that i met in a pain clinic for example they were as many men as they were women so exactly. it was an interesting in that subset i i experienced or I, I've I've been privileged that they opened up to me and told me their truth and mm. that was yeah surprisingly often and surprisingly yeah uh, just brutal and painful mm -hmm. yeah. <sighs> so you were you went through that time in your in your teenager years and then you ran away yes so. at 19 
Mm-hmm. What happened? How did that happen? Did you one day oh. just simply pack up, or I mean, <laughs> as a as a perfectionist, as a perfectionist, yeah. you would have you would have probably planned that meticulously. Oh no 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 not at all. It, okay, so what happened was my stepdad threatened to kill me, and that I got. So what happened was okay. First of all, I was not allowed to have a boyfriend oh. ever. Okay, so just so you have some background information, my stepdad's mm. plan was to eventually marry me and he wasn't kidding he was waiting for me to become of age and he was just thinking down the line he would be able to marry me and he he said that with asian asian women you know you can't really tell how old they are so you know he should be able to get away with it basically and so i i never question i never because you know the grooming and all of that started when i was only 10 yeah. um and I became so passive. And so, you know, it was just automatically, for, uh, it was automatic for me to yeah. dissociate cognitively, just dissociate from everything. Like I would have my separate life at school and ballet. Then when I came home, I didn't, I did not know what to expect. And, you know, I, I kind of had like a double life in a way. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get too close to anyone. I didn't have any close friends. No one really, of course, no one knew what was happening. And I over always covered up for my stepdad. You know, I was trained to protect him. and. I was convinced that he loved me. There's a lot of crazy psychology that happens behind all of this. But I was convinced on one hand that he loved me, which we can get into if you want. And I also, I, I also felt like, you know, I felt like I thought I loved him. And, you know, it, it was very, it, I know it sounds very strange to an outsider, but it's called Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. And it's very common. And that's why most most um, survivors of this type of abuse, they don't tell, they don't leave, they don't even think about it as abuse. They don't label it as abuse while they're experiencing all of that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, at 19, um, I, be- I started to become a bit more rebellious. I thought, you know, I do want a boyfriend. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I don't care what my stepdad says. You know, I would like to have a boyfriend. And I actually, I found, you know, I got a boyfriend behind his back. And he discovered this and he just became irate. So he became irate. He said, if I had a gun right now, I'd shoot you. I'd shoot myself. And he just left the house and took off in the middle of the night, was gone for hours. And I asked my little brother, oh, where's, where's dad? And he said, I don't know. He just left. And I, my heart was just pounding. And I thought this, this is, a, you know, this does not feel good. He's never been this irate, this angry before. And so I need to get out of here because I'm not going to wait to see if he's, you know, planning to kill me. So I really ran out of fear. Um, that was the motivating factor. You know, it was, it felt like a life or death situation. So I left, moved in with my boyfriend and that's how I escaped. Um, unfortunately my, my, my brother stayed behind because, um, just the family dynamics were so twisted, you know, because on the outside, it seemed like he took good care of me and, you know, provided for me and my little brother. Um, but, you know, oh, just so many things. I was really into ballet. I was into ballet before I even met him. You know, my mom took me ballet classes. Um, but when I moved in with him, he really wanted me to play piano. And I didn't want to play piano. <laughs> you know, and anyway, so just weird things. Would ha- and so my next birthday, he bought a gigantic piano just right there in the living room. So, of course, you know, I said, oh, thank you so much and pretended to smile. And I, you know, and so he would always do these weird things where 
I would specifically say no, no, thank you. And he would never honor my feelings. And every year he would upgrade my piano, upgrade my piano. So it was just a larger piano. So on the outside, it looked like he really maybe even spoiled me and really took care of me. Right. But I didn't want any of it. And I, I felt obligated to play and I didn't want to. And with my little brother, he really neglected my little brother. He never wanted him because when he went to court to fight for the guardianship um, of us, I don't know, he actually asked the mediators if he could just adopt me. <laughs> he said he didn't want my little brother. And they, you know, even in the court system, they knew something was very strange and they suspected that he was molesting me, but I always protected him. And I said, no, 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 he never does anything. Um, you know, and so anyway, he realized quickly, oh, in order for me to have, have, have my stepdaughter, I have to adopt my stepson too. So that's the only reason why he took my brother along for the ride. Um, and it was just a horrendous situation. So it, what I'm saying is, as, as we were growing up, my brother kind of didn't like me because on the outside, it looked like I was favored. And he was, he was kind of like the slave of the house. He had to do all the chores make the dinners, wash the dishes from age six, you know, age five, six, he was like the one who had to do everything. And I didn't have to do anything but focus on my studies. Um, and it was just really, I mean, I slept in my stepdad's room every single night with the door locked. And my brother never questioned it because um, my stepdad, I mean, he actually really did have um I know this is like a lot of details, but I just want to show this part. This is very important. Um, but he had hepatitis C, which is a problem of the liver. Of course, you know that. And he, when he would get stressed out, he would hemorrhage blood and cough up all this blood. And so, you know, we could see that. And anyway, so my brother assumed I was sleeping in his room to take care of stepdad and take care of his health. And, and he would have hallucinations and nightmares because he claimed he used to be in the war, which his family said, no, he never was. I don't know. He was a real good liar, a real good manipulator. Um, but, you know, I felt really bad for him because on one hand, I did not like what he was doing, of course. I wanted all of that to stop. But he um, would pose it in a very specific way from the beginning, like, you know, this is me. Um, Okay, there were a few different um, reasons he gave as to why he was doing what he was doing. Of course, he never would say, I am molesting you. <laughs> you know, he would never say, oh, uh, this is rape or this is abuse. Of course, pedophiles don't use that type of terminology, right? So he would say things like, oh, I'm educating you about uh, the human body and reproductive <laughs> system and sex. Yeah, seriously. And show me all these books and teenage uh books of you know on how sex happens and he would say when I was a little boy there was a an adult woman who showed me these things and she was my neighbor and I'm so thankful and then he would say this is actually completely normal you know this happens all around um the, especially in Europe he said this is very common in Europe but here in the states um uh it, you know it's not legal it's not legal and so if you tell anyone that you know, then I will be arrested and no one will take care of you. No one, you know, no one will provide for you. You're going to be on the street. And so that was another excuse. And um, another one was just, you know, he would just say, I have needs. I have, as a man, I have needs. And this is how you show me that you love me. You know, I do everything for you. I put you in ballet and piano and I buy you clothes. 
So he'd always guilt trip me. Um, and anyway, this I'll, I'll, I'll just paint a quick picture of this. The worst part of the abuse was he would always want me to initiate the abuse to begin the, the whole abuse process. But, um, you know, but I, I just wouldn't. I, I couldn't get myself to initiate, you know, but he just had these strange fantasies and I just wouldn't. And then um, he would wait a day, wait two days, wait three days, and he would just get really frustrated. And anyway, he would actually cough up blood. You know, he'd get all stressed out and cough up all this blood. And so my brother and I would just get the ice bucket, ice his liver, you know, wipe up the blood from his mouth. And then he would look me dead in the eyes and say, you did this to me. You did this. Like, I'm dying right now because you are selfish and you're the meanest girl on the planet. You're selfish. You're evil. You're cruel. You have no heart. I do everything for you. I adopted you. I saved you from your mom who was poor. And, you know, he always would talk bad about my mom, but she was an angel. But he would just say, yeah, you, you know, I did all this for you. And I just ask you for one thing, one thing. And you can't even do that. You can't even do that. You can't love me. And then I would say, oh my gosh, you know, and I just felt so guilty. And I would think if I'm such a horrible daughter, then why did you adopt me? Right. So I would ask him, why did you adopt me? And he would say, because, and he would, um, of course, um, oh, what's the word? Um, twist this word, twist the word love. He would say, because I can't help, but love you. I love you. I can't help it. So he would twist the word love. And so then I'd get very confused. <laughs> like, wait, oh gosh, I'm, I am the worst daughter in the world. He loves me so much and I can't just do this stupid thing. And anyway, so then I'd be in tears and I would say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he would say, you, well, you can't just say sorry. You have to show me that you're sorry. And I would say, okay, well, what do I, you know, what do I do with that? And so then he would um, have me dress up in lingerie and put on makeup and do my hair and put on perfume. Uh, it, his favorite perfume was Rapture by Victoria's Secret. So he would have me put that on. And then he would be in the living room on his couch and I would, I would perform a dance for him. It was very strange, but typically I would do it to like a Celine Dion song. She has some sensual songs. And so I would do a little performance, like sort of a ballet performance, but kind of sensual. And then before the song would even be over, he would take me to his room and then he would rape me. And this would just keep happening. The cycle happened over and over and over and over again. Like my, you know, during those years. And I just didn't see a way out. Cause like I said, he, his plan was to marry me. And so I never ever thought of escaping or leaving. Um, you know, it's just really hard as a child, when you see your father bleeding and dying and suffering, I mean, it just kills you, you know? Um, so anyway, but thanks to the grace of God and 12 step groups, <laughs> I have literally completely healed from all of that. I truly, truly have. And that's why I do what I do. You know, I mentor women from around the world who've gone through these horrific things. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't heal from this, but that's why I'm here to help them. Which is so beautiful, which is so beautiful that you have found yourself and that you've used, that you were able to to access the twelve step programs, etc. And then I would I want to hear more of that. Yes. But I just want to say that that what you have described is the, the classic 
classic way how to manipulate people mm. and that is not only happening to children or teenagers that also mm. you describe very much what happens to a wife in a, in an abusive relationship Oh, yes. It is mm -hmm. the same manipulation, the same twisting, the same yes. uh, taking control and, and manipulating in such a way that it's all your fault. My goodness, it is uh, it is so hard. And and if if women in their thirties, forties can't leave their husbands because they are too overwhelmed. What does a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old, what's her chance to, mm. to, to deal with that? There is, there is no surprise that this abuse continued for such a long time because he was a master manipulator. Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. Blimey. You ran away. Yes. Your life... Did you did you continue to rebel? Because I mean, this this was probably yeah. not such a smooth kind of ride from oh, abused yeah. to okay. Now I'm a teacher and a healer oh, myself. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't oh, see that yeah. happening. <laughs> oh no no no! I'm glad you asked that. Yeah, it's so I, you know, it wasn't that long ago, really. You know, I'm only thirty. I'm thirty two now. And I ran away at 19, but it feels like ages ago. It really feels like ages ago. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I completely rebelled. <laughs> I completely rebelled. Oh, I became this runaway, you know, just uh, that was like my last name, you know, runaway, runaway love, runaway, runaway. I would run away from everything. I just got into this habit of running away because it felt so good, really. It felt freeing. I just thought, wow, I ran away. I'm, you know, I'm out of the situation. Oh, my gosh, I was just so happy to be out of it. But it wasn't smooth sailing, like you said, you know. First of all, my first boyfriend at the time was like, okay, like, why is your stepdad acting like a crazy ex-boyfriend? Why is he coming to our apartment trying to, you know, break down the door? He was like, this is not normal dad behavior. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I really wanted to sweep it under the rug. I didn't ever think about the past. I didn't want to think about it. I, I wanted to just move forward. Um, and my, my boyfriend at the time, he just kept asking, like, did something happen to you? Like, did he try to do something? This is just very odd. And I would just say, nope, nope, nothing, nothing ever happened. And nope, nope, nope. And he just, he really, um, I would say cared about me, you know, um, although we didn't work out and whatnot. And he just was pretty persistent. And eventually we got our own apartment and he asked the question yet again. But this time I didn't say, no, no, nothing happened. I just didn't say anything. And I just started crying. And he said, Oh my gosh, he did. You know, he did do something to you. He, he, and he used the word. He finally used this word. I never used for what had happened. And my boyfriend said, you were molested. And I looked at him. I said, no, I wasn't, <laughs> you know, because I was so brain. I literally was so brainwashed. Even as a 19 year old, I didn't put two and two together, you know? Mm. And then it really like, it started to hit me like, oh my gosh, like it, okay, like maybe, maybe I was. And, and he said, well, at least he'd never tried to have sex with you. And I said, yes, he did, <laughs> you know? And so then everything just started to come together and my brain, it just felt like it just was starting to like explode every, my whole reality that I knew it to be was not real. It wasn't true. 
it wasn't the truth. I really, for some, you know, in order for me to stay as long as I did and not rebel against my stepdad, there was a big part of me that just chose to believe that my stepdad loved me, that he really loved me and really cared about me, you know, because he would say it all the time. Verbally, he would say it all the time. Um, but anyway, oh, just a little caveat I want to add, you know, the funny thing with my stepdad was he actually would sometimes use the word rape, but not to describe himself. He would use it to describe other people like strange. So he would say, oh, when you come home from ballet, be very careful. Get, get into your car right away. Get into your car and come straight home. Because if you don't, someone might kidnap you, rape you and kill you. So in my mind, I always thought rape had to be from a complete stranger. And it was always like, you know, violent. They will kill you. So I thought that was rape, right? Um, so anyway, my, my, I finally realized, oh my gosh, I really was molested and all of this. And my, um, boyfriend at the time said, oh, you need to tell your dad, you need to tell your ballet teacher. And those conversations did not go well at all. Like, I just thought people would just believe me, you know, I just would tell them and they would say, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But no, I told my ballet teacher and she said, well, actually, she did believe me. She she just said, well, don't tell anyone because it will ruin your dance career. And I thought, really? <laughs> like, that's all you have to say about that? And then I, when I told my dad... Just one second. So that was, we yes. are 2020 now. So that would have been 13 years ago, 2007, thereabouts. 2000 and, yeah, 2007, I think. Yeah. Um, around there, 2008. Yeah, around about time. there. Which is... Which is bizarre. You would have you would have thought that by now people have understood that that uh, these things need to be taken serious. Yet here was here was a woman of of, of your gender who says, "Oh no 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 no, you better be quiet about that." Now that blows me away. I uh, is oh. is is it really know, only due to the meat? That is bizarre. Oh, absolutely. That's the most common thing in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the men. The, the mentees I work with, the women, and I do work with some men too. Um, yeah. But anyway, most of my clients, they're women. And th this is the most common story when, when they would finally have the courage to tell, oh, yes, this happened or this happened. Finally, you know, it takes a tremendous courage. Mm -hmm. When they finally have the courage to tell, most people don't believe them or they just want to sweep it under the rug. Um, and you have to think of it from this perspective. It's like they, they also know this person and they're also very close to that person and so they feel torn you know they feel very torn they don't have that image you know that bad image of that person in their head and they don't really want to believe it or even if they kind of believe it they don't want to explore it too much you know people just want to people are selfish you know they want to have their life be calm and just don't rock it you know let's just keep going on with life but this is a horrific thing that happens to so many people and when 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 um, it does finally, you know, come to surface, yeah, the response that comes from our closest loved ones are usually the worst responses ever. And that's what causes the survivors to just go crazy. Like they go haywire, like I did. I, like I did. That's why I started running away from home all the time. Um, my boyfriend at the time, we, we were planning to get married and I just, I just left him. You know, all of a sudden I didn't trust him either. I just didn't trust people. I didn't trust authority figures. I didn't trust men. I didn't trust family. All of a sudden, I just oh, I can't, I can't trust anyone now. Like I really trusted my stepdad, and he was the bigger, biggest liar of all. So I can't trust anyone. So I just remember running away all the time and um, 
I would hitchhike and just, I was just crazy. And then, you know, I, I ended up in New York somehow via Greyhound. I couldn't afford living there. I was only there for like five, five days. And from there, I, I, my, my aunt and uncle, they flew me to Utah. So I lived there, I lived with them for a year randomly. And I would run away from home all the time. Also, you know, the funny thing was I would always run away to like a church. Actually, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like a big party or anything. I didn't like, you know, but I would run away to churches because I just thought to myself, I, I think here, at least here, I'm not going to get raped. You know, even though I wasn't religious, <laughs> I didn't believe in God. You know, I just thought, okay, if I'm going to run away, um, let me go to a church. You know, at least here, I, I think, you know, I should be safe. <laughs> you know, but I, usually I'd crawl back home because I would have nowhere to go. And I would um, cuss out my family members at the top of my lungs in the middle of the street. So, I mean, I just was, I had a lot of pain, you know, I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of anger. And eventually with that settled into a deep depression and I developed social anxiety and all of a sudden I felt very ugly. I didn't want to be seen. So I stayed at home. I never left the house and I started making plans, you know, on how to kill myself because I just felt worthless. I felt like it was selfish of me to be alive. I felt like it was selfish of me to breathe and take up oxygen because I just felt like it was selfish and someone else could use that oxygen. You know, that's how I would think. Um, but anyway, I eventually snapped out of it because I just couldn't get myself to kill myself because I was scared that it would be painful. Because <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I'm just a big baby. You know, I don't like, I don't like pain. So that, that was my reason. Because <laughs> I, you know, I know there's different ways to kill yourself. You know, we won't get into all that. But um, I just wasn't sure if it would work out or not. So I was like, you know what, I'm too scared to do this. So I'm just going to make the decision to, le to live. And by this time, um, the, the two-year kind of court process with my stepdad was coming to an end. Um, because when I did tell people around me when I first did at age 19, it what happened was, okay, so one of the people I told was, of course, my little brother. I went to his school and I told my little brother what happened and he didn't want to believe me either. He was mad at me. <sighs> he was very brainwashed by stepdad. You know, he was like, oh, stepdad told me that, you know, you're doing, you're into all these crazy things and so I don't believe you and go away. And so because this sort of scene ruckus happened at the school, um, the yard duty person was like, okay, you need to leave the campus. And I said, no, 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 I need to talk to the high school counselor. Mm. And so I went and talked to her and I, she, when I told her, she told me, Oh my gosh, finally, finally, you're telling me I knew this all along. Cause me and my little brother, we, we went to the same school. And so she, she, she was like, I knew all along. And I was like, what you knew? Well, okay. How come, you know, you didn't ever report or, and she said, well, you never, you said nothing happened. So I couldn't report. But, and, you know, but now you have, you know, and so uh, the thing was, um, there were some people who did know, but they felt like they couldn't do anything because I would not say anything. And so anyway, because I told her, she was the one who got the ball rolling because she's of course a mandated reporter and, and she told the authorities and that got the court process going. And before I knew it, the detectives were knocking on my apartment. And they took my little brother and put him in a group, a children group, a children's, what do you call it? A group home or whatever it's called. And he was there and then he got adopted and he lived with a foster family. And fortunately, he, he landed in a good one. And now my brother's okay. But he refused to talk to me for six years, six years, because he said, 
I don't want you to testify in court because if you do, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose my dad. I'm going to lose my dad. And so I felt very torn, you know, because my, my little brother, he wasn't molested. So, so he had a different type of relationship with stepdad, you know, yeah. but you know, for me, to be honest, I really didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to think about it, but I kept thinking about my brother. Like if, if I don't testify, he, he might think that I'm making this up all along, you know, like maybe he would think, Oh, stepdad was right. My sister just made this up. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to go for it. And I'm going to go and, and prove that he did molest me and rape me um, just for my brother's sake. So he knows. And yes, I did win the court case. Unanimous decision. The jury, you know, there was a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence. And he was, uh, his sentence was like 26 or 27 years in prison, but he died. He, he wasn't even there for that long. Only like a few years he eventually passed. Oh, I didn't tell you. My stepdad was like maybe 40 years older than me. He was quite older. He could have been like my grandpa. Um, I don't know. These are just minor details, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where we were, but um, anyway, um, it's just, there's a lot. It's very, uh, usually these things are very complicated. It's not like Oh, how come you didn't run away? Oh, yeah, you were asking me, was I rebellious? Yes, I was very rebellious. <laughs> I was very rebellious, um, very rebellious, and then I was angry, cussing people out all the time in my early 20s, and then I went into this deep depression where, you know, was thinking of suicide, but I was too scared to kill myself, and then by this time, I had to come back, you know, leave Utah and then move back to California to testify against my stepdad, so I did, and I won the case. And I, I ended up living with my real dad. And that was a challenge at first, just because there was a lot of healing that needed to take place. Um, but from that time forward, I moved 45 times. I've had 45 different jobs. You know, I mean, I was a runaway star. I knew how to just pick up and run away, pick up and run away. Like, I just, I was, yeah, <laughs> I was, I just attracted toxic people. I was a magnet for toxicity. All my boyfriends were toxic and abusive in different ways. Um, and so I just thought I was cursed. You know, I thought, oh my gosh, I left my stepdad. Why is my life so horrendous? And some of the pain I experienced with the, with the boyfriends were even worse in different ways, like um, emotionally worse, a lot worse. And so I just thought, oh, this is the worst. I, I hate my life. <laughs> you know, I hate this. I want this to stop. And what happened, what changed for me was, um, let's see, this was two years ago in the winter of 2017 was when my life completely changed, you know, because in my 20s, I leaned on certain things that just were not helpful to me at the time. You know, I really leaned in on, you know, different new age principles and practices and yoga, meditation, Reiki, none of those things helped me. Um, and even self-help and positive affirmations, none of those things helped me because they weren't really rooted in a deeper truth for me. And it wasn't until the, in the winter of 2017, oh my gosh, when I had an experience where I was living at an ashram, right? I mean, I, I, got, I got into this whole, I became like ultra spiritual, right? <laughs> ultra spiritual. So, you know, I was rebellious and all this, and then all of a sudden I'm really into spirituality. I'm teaching yoga. I'm doing Reiki sessions for people. I'm meditating for two hours a day, every day. And I've got my YouTube channel and I'm leading, leading many people into the new age world. And, oh gosh, anyway, I'm, li I'm living at this ashram, right? And 
out of nowhere for three days straight. I all of a sudden was attacked demonically. And I know that sounds crazy, you know, because before this time, I didn't even believe in demonic presences or anything like that. But what happened was um, I was just exhausted, utterly exhausted out of nowhere. And this, everyone knew that I, I just had so much energy. I always had so much energy. I never took naps. You know, I was like vegan back then. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, for some reason, around two in the afternoon, I would just be utterly exhausted for no reason. And I would, I went up to my tower bedroom and I would just collapse on the bed. And all of us, all of a sudden, I would kind of hear this entity, like this voice, telling me to kill myself. And I thought, this is so strange. Like this is very strange. Like it wasn't coming from me. Like when. I used to be depressed. It wasn't that, it wasn't coming from me. It was something outside of me. And it was very scary. And it happened on the second day again, second day, same thing, attacked. It was telling me to kill myself. And this time I went into my closet and I found a 12 step book. It was this thick, a big, it was from CODA, you know, Codependence Anonymous. It was a big, thick book. And it was a 12 step group I was in previously, but I had quit because I, I had quit all 12 step groups. Cause I just thought they're not, they're not helpful because I don't believe in God. I don't care about this. Like I can heal myself by myself. And that's why I got into the new age, you know? But anyway, on the second day when I was attacked, I found this book in my closet. It was all dusty and I opened it to a random page, just flipped it open. And it said, surrender to God. It said it right there. Like, I think it was like step two or step three, like surrender to God. And I just saw it and, you know, right in front of my face. And I said, Nope close the book. I put, I said, no, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to surrender. I want to do it by myself. And day three, I was attacked again. And this time I, I just couldn't take it anymore because I just knew if like there was a gun or something. I, I felt like I would have done it. I would have killed myself. And I thought, okay, I, I need help. I really need help. And I thought, okay, I prayed to the universe. I prayed to the mother, Sri Aurobindo, Krishna, Ganesh, Buddha, you know, who's left, you know, I prayed to the rock stars, you know, just dozens and dozens and dozens of different deities. I thought, oh, you know, the only one I haven't tried is Jesus. And so it was, I, I'll admit it. It was like a last resort kind of thing. <laughs> okay. But what I did was I just simply called his name. I said, Jesus. And instantly I felt his peace. The demon was gone and I knew he was real. I just knew he was real. And I, it was that easy. And I got baptized then the month, a uh, month later, I, you know, and my life completely changed. That's when my healing process really began. And I did go back to 12 step groups because I felt like, okay, now I can do step two and step three, <laughs> you know, but from that point forward, that's when the healing process started back in the winter of 2017. And God, God healed me so fast, so quickly, so quickly. Oh my gosh, so intensely. It was painful. I mean, I won't lie. There were times when it was actually excruciatingly painful to heal. Um, but he healed me. And before I knew it, like less than a year later, my husband came into my life. After three dates, he swept me off my feet and married me and within a month's time, within a month's time. And oh my gosh, it was just so romantic. And he's, oh, and he's the best. He's the best. He loves me, adores me. You know, he's just more than I could have asked for. And my relationships with my family members, they all healed my friendships, you know, the toxic ones just kind of went away. And God gave me all these amazing friendships. So like my life completely turned around, completely turned around. And it was just so funny too, by the way, when I did get baptized, you know, I texted my friends, Hey, you're invited to my baptism. They were like, wait, what? 
Bo Bo Yi is getting baptized. <laughs> Bo Yi, the the one who used to be a nudist and run around on islands naked and chant, you know, all these mantras and teach yoga. That Bo Yi, <laughs> the one who was looking into bisexuality and you know polyamory. That Bo Yi, she's getting baptized. She's interested in Jesus. Okay, let's see how long this will last. <laughs> but you know, but I haven't looked back ever since. And this is the realest thing I know is is God. For me, um, that is Jesus. And I've utilized the 12-step groups all the way. I joined eight different 12-step groups. Eight. Eight of them. I, I started to fall in love with the 12-step group. I fell in love with them. I realized this is the most powerful thing, you know, to essentially what it is, is it's confessing our sins, confessing our shortcomings, um, and just and, and, and just being okay with that, you know, being okay with that, not trying to be perfect and asking God to help us, you know, remove those shortcomings and help us transform, you know, through his power, not our power. And it was just so much easier because <laughs> I didn't have any power. If I had the power, I would have done it already in my 20s, right? When I was trying to chant my way into en enlightenment, it would have worked, but it didn't. Um, so that's all, that's pretty much my story in a nutshell that God came into my life. Jesus came into my life. In the winter of 2017, he completely healed me. I'm completely thriving. Um, I'm super happy, super, yeah, just grateful for life, for life. I'm just so grateful. You know, I'm just grateful for everything in my life. I wake up happy. I go to bed happy. And I slay demons left and right now. I, I don't care. I have, I, I'm very violent in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, I slash them. I just, I slash these demons in the name of Jesus because I don't have time for depression. I don't have time for suicidal thoughts, right? Like I just want to live for God. And that's what I want to inspire all the people in the world to do, to live their God-given dreams. Because you, Stephen, you have a purpose and you're living your purpose. Everyone on this planet has a specific purpose. We're all created on purpose, for purpose. And we are here to live our God-given dreams, right? But the devil wants to kill us, you know? Literally, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy us you know, and, and derail us from reaching our dreams, our destiny. That's his whole mission. And it comes in the form of depression, alcoholism, you know, sex addiction, whatever, you know, or just, oh, I'll never heal and just self-pity. So it comes in all these different forms, but really it's just the devil trying to derail us from achieving our dreams. And I recognize it now. I see it so clearly. And I don't, I don't, I don't give the devil a foothold. You know, I just go, you know, get out of my way, Satan. I've got works to do, <laughs> you know, get out of my way. That's how I talk to, I don't care. That's how I talk to the devil. Even though I wear bows and dresses, I'm really hardcore <laughs> when it comes to spiritual warfare. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> You're kick ass. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> oh, thank you. It was all God. All the glory. <laughs> and I'm so pleased for you that you have found that conviction, that freedom within you that you are saying this is the real Bowie. This is the real the real girl, not the the various masks that I've been wearing in the past, the various persona that I've taken on, believing that I'm I'm on the right path. And I'm a little bit jealous because I haven't had that religious experience. And I don't know if it will come in my life. I, I struggle with deities out there. And I'm pleased for you and for the many, many other people who have become uh, testimonials for God and for Jesus. 
And mm. if you had on your heart uh, believed that this is your path and you're living the, the life to your fullest with that power in you, I'm so pleased for you. And that is, that is, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And I think that's, I, I need to admit that here on this channel because uh, my book is written as a, uh, as a 12 step book, but for people who don't really believe in God. So I'm, I'm using the analogy of a, of a failing business and use the 12 steps to, to help with this failing business. And that business just happens to be your life. So I, I am so pleased for people like you and my wife, she has found, she has found Jesus and she oh. is uh, forever trying to convince me that the church is the right <laughs> way to go. Um, uh, I actually do like her current church, so we won't tell that anyone, please. Um, they are actually they are actually very very nice and very good. Aww. But it's just it's still it is it's one thing to to consciously acknowledge well these are actually nice people. It's the other thing to feel it in your heart as exactly. you had experienced in the winter of 2017. Yeah. So therefore, un, unless this will happen to me, I cannot I cannot do more than pretend that mm -hmm. I actually uh, have nothing against them. And that, that's wrong. I have nothing against the church. Um, mm -hmm. and the problem, of course, is that, that even within the church, there are nasty people. And oh, absolutely. If you, if you oh, think yes. about the sexual abuse, especially in the Catholic oh. church, but in oh, many yes. other, other sects or etc. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't stop just because you're religious. You know, on the contrary, oh, many other people. Yeah. Oh, so no. it's really, really tricky, isn't it? But I think the, those things that can't be talked away by either religion or not being religious, etc. The, the, the facts are out there. Child sexual abuse is oh, rampant. Rampant. Mm -hmm, rampant. And it is scary in its extent. And if you guys who are listening to that, if you are finding yourself glued to the to the podcast or to the youtube channel because it triggers something in you then it's time for you to acknowledge that feeling and do something about it i mean in your case Bouye, you have run away but you are now a woman who is offering her services her expertise her insights to people who have been in your shoes Mm -hmm. And there are a whole huge amount of people who are actually doing that of various of various backgrounds and various forms. And I think let's 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 break it apart a little bit. If you are in a abusive relationship right now and think that your life is in, in danger, please get mm. out. Just right now, oh, please absolutely. get out. Stop mm -hmm. listening to that podcast call the police, get out, look mm -hmm. after your life. And, and if you have children, then after your children, get out mm -hmm. right now. There will mm -hmm. be a solution coming along. You will not starve to death. It is just get out. I think that's the yes. key thing. Key thing. There mm -hmm. are places like Women's Refuge. There yes. are places, there are specific uh, people who you can ask. And if you don't know who to ask, maybe go to the church. And just ask the priest or ask the, the pastor there. They will be able to guide you what are the services that can support you within your in your immediate vicinity. Yes. So that's definitely number one. Mm -hmm. But 
many of us have been carrying such burdens with us for a long, long time. And these burdens just keep festering and, and the, the past keeps wanting to break free and, and it often does so in really nasty ways like the depression, like the alcoholism, like mm-hmm. the self-abuse, mm-hmm. self-harm. If that is the case and you're struggling with that, I think then it is such a cool idea to talk to someone like Bo Yi. Bo Yi, if people wanted to get in contact with you and and work with you and learn from you, how can they do that? Sure. A very sim- it's very simple. They can simply go to my website, ibelieveinloveagain.com. <laughs> ibelieveinloveagain.com. Yes. That, and you'll see everything there. You can contact me there. Um, I'm also on YouTube, Instagram, all of that. So you can. Oh, and I, oh, by the way, I have a private Facebook group for women. It's such a powerful group. Um, if you've gone through any any sort of, it doesn't even have to be sexual. It can be any kind of abuse or simply neglect. If you had neglect or you witnessed your parents divorcing, it can be any form of pain or abuse. All are welcomed, and it's just been an amazing. Uh, an amazing um, experience to witness these women go from broken to having hope to becoming bold. It's just so amazing to witness that because we we have fun challenges. Like right now we're in the middle of a 14 day self love challenge and we're making smoothies together. We're stretching, we're taking, you know, we're doing Japanese facial massage on our faces and we're just really milking that, you know, we're really taking great care of ourselves because oftentimes when People have been abused. Um, not everyone, you know, but a lot of them do develop codependent tendencies and they end up putting other people before them and they put themselves last. And so I train my mentees how to stop doing that. Like right now, <laughs> like yesterday, I trained them to comp- just stop it, you know, just stop it. And I, ex- But the, I don't just say stop it. You know, I teach them why it's important to stop it and what that really means. And it's not selfish at all. In fact, doing the opposite is selfish. When we take care of other people first, that's selfish. And I go into wh- why that is. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. And it inspires me too, to see, witness other women, you know, to oh. doing whatever it takes to help themselves, you know, and it doesn't matter what age, you know, I, I work with every people, you know, who are younger than me, people who are in their sixties and older, doesn't matter. We're all there to heal and to thrive. And so I've got that group and um, you can, uh, it's a, I can give you the link, perhaps, for my... Yes, please. I will, guys, I will put it all down there into the description here of the podcast as well as the YouTube channel. Just have a look underneath there. You're going to find all the links for Boyi and how you can uh, easily get hold of her. Perfect. Perfect. Absolutely. Yes, and I Wait. just wanted to say... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Please. Oh, on. yes, sure. Oh, I just wanted to say that... Um, no need to, um, you know, feel jealous or envious. You know, I, I, I know how that feels. I used to feel that too, you know, when I was telling you at 1920, when I was running away all the time, I kept going to churches and I would see people worship in church. And I wanted that. I wanted that feeling of freedom or peace, whatever it was they had. I wanted that as well, but I didn't know how to get it. Hmm. I, I really didn't, you know, and I didn't know if they were faking it or if it was real, you know, but it just seems so nice, you know, and I remember that feeling. I wanted that too. But on the other hand, I hated Christians. I will admit it. <laughs> I hated Christians. 
I thought they were the worst people on the planet. Like you said, you know, the child, you know, they're not perfect. They're hypocrites. And I just hated Christians. I hated them. And when I was in the new age world, when I was doing the Reiki healing and, you know, even in the middle of my Reiki sessions, if I knew someone was Christian, I would try to talk them out of their salvation. I would say, you don't need Jesus. I mean, I was very, um, I don't know, like what was about, you know, Jesus that I, you know, I know now what it was, but I mean, I never really ever went to church my whole life and I didn't study the Bible. I didn't study his life, but deep inside, I hated the idea of Jesus. I hated the idea of a Lord and Savior. I hated the idea of God and anyone who believed in such a thing. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to talk them out of it. I just felt like they were weak people. They needed a crutch. I really couldn't stand Christians. I couldn't stand the idea of Christianity. And so for me to have been given faith in a moment where I wasn't even looking for it, you know, I was just, I needed help. <laughs> you know, I just kind of needed help. I was being demonically attacked. And I just kind of, I just needed help. And he was my last resort. And when that time was ready, you know, he gave me faith. And that's, so that's something we can't control. We can't force faith. We can't, even if we want it, I know it sounds weird, but even if we want it, we can't force it. We can't, Mm, we can't do exactly. anything. We can't. Yeah. I know exactly what you are saying. It is, it is bizarre. It is uh, talking to other believers and talking to other people uh, who can now uh, testify to their encounter with with Jesus and God. It is. There is nothing. There is nothing you can say. It's so beautiful. It's so convincing. It is so overpowering and overwhelming in a good way. When you look into their eyes and the belief is there and the trust and the love is there and the joy is there, it is. There is a jealousy in me, a certain degree. Oh, I I, I, yeah, absolutely. But I, at the same token, I'm, I'm, I'm big and ugly enough to be really glad for, for people who have that conviction, have gained that the trust and the joy in, in, in Jesus. So Aww. I'm really, 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 really pleased for you that you came to this position in which really Jesus uses you as a, as a tool to now yeah. help others in your position. And yes. what a powerful thing that is. So guys, Amen. Yeah, exactly. So guys, if you are out there and, and that, uh, that interview here struck a chord with you, Please, please get in touch with Boyi. Uh, she uh, might just give you different insights. And whilst she is in on the other side of the world, maybe to you, wherever you are listening, it uh, doesn't mean to say that you can't make a, a, a connection with her or learn from her Facebook group and draw on the strength of the others to help you develop your own strength and move on in your life. I think that is where such groups come into their own. This is where you know that every single person in that group has been abused as well. So there's a strong sisterhood out there in this particular case, just as much as there's a very strong brother and sisterhood amongst us alcoholics in recovery. And that's where the 12-step programs come together because you think you're alone. You think, oh my God, that's only happening to me and you catastrophize and I'm the worst thing ever. And then you come into such a group and you see actually, wow, damn, A, I'm not alone and B, shit, what happened to you? And it's just, it is liberating. It's beautiful. And certainly for me, when I was the first time speaking out 
and opened up and said, hello, I'm Stefan and I'm an alcoholic. It was liberating because I had hidden it for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And I can very much see that that happens to others who have been hiding their shameful secrets, their guilt, uh, their, their past, and to finally bring it out into the open and deal with it. It's such a beautiful journey. And as you say, it's a hard journey. There is nothing easy about that, (laughs) nothing whatsoever. But when I say it's a beautiful journey, with that I refer to the outcome afterwards. Because you can put the demons to bed and actually say it was, this was my past. And and we've looked at it and now it can stay in the past. It doesn't need to wake you up at three o'clock in the morning every single freaking night. And it doesn't have to, to give you flashbacks during the day deal with it and alone that's bloody hard and that's where where either people like Boyi or or groups like the one that she has founded come into yes yes thank you yeah and just like real fast my group is for all women you don't have to have any religious background just to make it that clear Mm. everyone is welcomed um you know it's a safe place you know, um, of course, I, I talk about my personal beliefs here and there, as long as that doesn't offend you, you know, everyone is welcome. You can be atheist, you can be, a, you know, Satanist, I don't care. You're more than welcome to be in my group, as long as we're all respectful of each other. Yes. <laughs> and that is ex- that's exactly what, what Bill Wilson uh, wrote when in 1946, when he talked about the AA and, and about groups. And he said, I don't care if you're the biggest low life, the, the biggest nasty piece of work, as long as you and your other piece of nasty work friend as long as you have the the interest and the uh, as long as you're keen to throw away the alcohol and get on with your life then you are an aa group congratulations kind of a thing so here you go just go out there and 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 have the courage to open up and you will be amazed where that journey leads you when you stop hiding that's just the most beautiful beautiful revelation uh, that possibly can happen. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Boyi, I'm so grateful that you came on today. I'm, I'm incredibly humbled. Your journey is 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 unique and empowering and harrowing and and awful and beautiful and all at the same time, just as complex as we human beings are. And I'm so so grateful that you were able to, to share with me your passion and your your vision now to make this world a better world uh, one one talk at a time one one interaction at a time thank you so oh, so much you're welcome and thank you I feel so honored and pr- privileged to be yeah. here I mean it's amazing that you invited like a hardcore Jesus lover on your channel. <laughs> you know? I was like, did you read my bio? Like, did you read my bio, Stephen? <laughs> I was like, well, this is a mistake. So I'm more than happy to be here. <laughs> so I'm very Again, you, very you spoke pretty. to my wife, didn't you? <laughs> I did not, actually. I did not. I have never met her. I didn't know she was no, Christian until you just told me, but that's so funny. So I feel very honored, very privileged. And wow, that just goes to show your audience you're very open-minded Absolutely. and yes. 
You're very we need respectful. to be. We need to yes. be because there is not one way that will suit everyone. And sure, there is not sure. one conviction mm -hmm. that leads to a beautiful outcome. And it might change. Things are dynamic. In one part of your life, you might need the spirituality because that is what keeps you from doing stupid things, from, from mm -hmm. losing it completely. And then mm -hmm. you find something better. And that better might be a different religion or might be a different belief system. You might hate AA and then begin to love it. Or vice versa. Mm -hmm. AA might be a good rescue for you. Sure. And then you think, mm -hmm. well, actually, um, the, the church and the, the positivity and the joy that I experienced there is actually the next step forward from, from where I've been. It's mm -hmm. dynamic. It is things keep changing. So, guys, don't close your eyes and don't close your ears because you think, oh, my God, no, 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 no. We need to do it this way. Mm. Nah. There are too many, too many options out there. So, guys, look after yourself out there. Boyi, you look after yourself. It was beautiful to talk to you, and I will certainly stay in touch. Thank you, Stephen. It's Thank you so much, and take care. Thank you Absolutely. so much. God bless. All of you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>